And we welcome you inside this Monday edition of the Hoopball Sacramento Kings podcast. Sam Comente here with you alongside, as always, the incomparable, the all-knowing Jill Adge, who's gone mobile, mobile for this episode. She's on the road traveling back from Las hey Vegas. Uh, truly dedicated to the craft is Jill Adge, but we expect nothing less. Jill, it was an eventful weekend for the Sacramento Kings, both on the court and then as of today. So I guess it's Monday. This is not the weekend anymore, but it's been an eventful three days since we last spoke on Friday because they played two games. They split them, which we'll talk about that in a minute. And then just this morning, their new city uniforms, along with 27 other teams, the Jazz and the Suns have the same uniforms that they already had. They, they just kept those ones because they're pretty cool. I, I imagine that's the logic. They just liked them, so they kept them. So 27 other teams, including our Kings, um, have new uniforms, and we'll touch on those. I love them, Jill, just as a teaser. I think they're awesome, very clean, but we'll also get to that. Let's start with the Pelicans game on Friday. Friday night in New Orleans, the Kings held off a little bit of a late rally in the fourth. It seems like we we're going to say that a lot this year, uh, and beat the Pelicans 113 to 109. Halliburton had a good game. Fox looked a little bit more comfortable. The pace and the movement was much more present and visible in that game. Uh, they did not shoot many threes, Jill. They only had 27, which is like a low number for Luke Walton's Kings. And then Buddy Hill continued to be like a menace off the bench. What were your takeaways from the win against a lowly Pelicans team? Yeah, I thought uh, Alex Len was really uh, was really key in that game with um, their size between uh, Val and um, Jackson Hayes. I thought having um, Alex Len uh, off the bench was huge and something we kind of missed last season, obviously. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, we're seeing some of the same, you know, things go through, but you know what? They, they were close to us. They, and then the Pelicans were close to the Knicks as well and then lost. So I think this season, like, we're stressing over, like, you know what I mean? Their, their fourth quarter, third quarter, you know, issues. Yes, they need to get better. There's no doubt about that. But again, I'll just keep harping based on watching all these other games. It seems to be a common theme throughout the league. And whether that's a, a talent, you know, distribution issue, like, I don't know. But um, the fact that, again, we said that could have been a trap game, right? Yes. Win the game you're supposed to win. They want, like, to me, we're, I'm not in the mindset of, of nitpicking wins. Like, I totally get it for people that want to do. But until we're, like, actually good, then I'll start, like, having an issue more so with our wins. But right now, give me the wins any way I can get them. I mean, at this point, this team needs to figure out how to win first off. So just give me the wins. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and a storyline, of course, it's been harped on quite a bit. People keep bringing it up to Luke Walton and then bringing it up on social media. De'Aaron Fox has not had a great start to the season. He has not been able to score at a rate that we're used to De'Aaron Fox scoring at. He hasn't had success from the field or from the line or from three. Pretty much any statistical category, he's down in that department. However, with that said, if we're going to do a little spin zone of that and look at the positive, the fact that they are three and three at 500 with the games that they've had to play, the teams they've had to play, despite De'Aaron's struggles, that's like that's a good thing, I think, Jill. That that shows that this team has a little bit more resilience in them this yeah. year. And I'll also add to that where add in the what you were saying earlier. 
they, they've been a poor three-point shooting team. If Very Fox's poor. shot is not there and the Kings' three-point shot is not there, there's no lane for him to do what he needs to do. If he's going in, it's him going again and three, three, four bodies converging on him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, in that sense, yes, he. I think he needs to get better at passing the ball out and, and not turning it over. But there's a reason why he succeeded with a lineup of Heald, Barnes, and Bielitsa. Regardless of what you want to say about Bielitsa and his defense or anything else, the guy was a three-point threat. And Fox thrives playing around guys who spread the floor, right? So if our team is not spreading the floor, um, it's hard to me, just realistically, it's to me, it's hard for him to do what he needs to do. His speed is only going to get him so much. Do you know what I mean? Like against three, four guys. And so 100%, he needs to be better and his shot needs to be better because guys will back off of him if his shot's not there either. And that just adds, you know what I mean? Makes it that much harder, even with his speed to still get around guys. Um, So it's right now it's kind of the Kings can usually live when one of things is, you know, one of those two things is going wrong. But when you have two of those things going wrong against a good team, it's going to be hard for them to win. Yeah. And we should preface by saying that, again, we're talking about the Pelicans game first here. De'Aaron did end up finishing on that game on Friday evening in New Orleans with 23 points, seven rebounds, five assists. He was plus two because people love to pay attention to that. However, he did have four turnovers. He only got to the line four times. How He did make all four of them, though, which is which is good to see. He needs to be at the line more than four times in a game, but at least he made them. And then he was nine of 21 from the field. He's trying. You can't, you know, fault the guy for trying. Uh, he's 21 field goal attempts. I think he had 20 the game before. So he's trying to get himself out of this funk. I don't think he's playing at 100%. Matt George hinted at that when he joined us on Friday, that that shoulder is really bothering him right now. From when he got hit, I think from, I think it was Rudy Gobert that hit him. So people haven't talked about that. I don't think Garen's going to acknowledge that or Luke Walton's going to acknowledge that, but there is a reason, reasonable point to be made that he might not be one, 100%. Uh, but he's trying, he, he he's giving it his all right now. He is still technically putting up good numbers, but it's just not very efficient. Who it's has not been... Star Fox numbers, yeah. But then that's not. the point, too, where it's like I, I can live with him getting the 20 points, you know, seven to nine assists and be efficient and the Kings win. I don't yeah. need Star Fox as long as the Kings are winning, right? I, to me, anyone that complains that he's not putting up the numbers, if the Kings can win consistently, goes against everything that we've been saying before where – him and like, let's say DeMarcus Cousins were putting up, you know, all these crazy numbers, but the, but the comeback was always, well, they're putting up all those numbers, but the team's not winning to me. I'm going to go vice versa, you know, again on that, where if the Kings are winning, yes, I want him to play well and efficient, like just be efficient, but I don't need like the crazy stat line. Um, As long as, as long as we're winning and you can say, you know what, he's, he's playing, he's playing. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, you've been you've been consistent in that point, Jill, and I give you credit for it that you since we've started doing this together, you have said, I don't really care how it happens. I just want the Kings to win. So and it's a good point. You know, we nitpick too much for being fans of a team that haven't given us a whole lot. You know, like if they were a really well-rounded, 
squad that just made the playoffs and they had started three and three or were struggling to be poor teams. Yeah. Then there's reasons to nitpick there. You know, we're a team that didn't make the play in last year that started three and three against a good group of teams. Um, despite changing a little bit of their roles and their identity and trying to focus more on defense, there are more goods than bads so far, six games in for the Kings. Uh, uh, speaking of goods in this Pelicans game, a crazy stat that we don't see often with this team, at least in these recent years, they were 24 of 25 from the free throw line, 96%. So they got to the line a good clip 25 times and they made all but one free throw attempt. Not a surprise you're going to win a game when you are that successful from the line. Uh, again, they didn't try as many threes against New Orleans, 27 attempts. They hit nine of them, most of them, courtesy of Buddy Heald, who had 20 points off the bench, continues to be dynamic, truly dynamic, coming off as the sixth man for this team. So it was it was a good win. The second half, you can nitpick about how they let New Orleans back in. However, in the fourth quarter, both teams just stopped playing defense. New Orleans scored, scored 37 points, Sacramento 36. So it was very even in that final quarter. Um, Brandon Ingram threw up just a pointless three at the end that made it, you know, a four point game at the final whistle instead of a seven point game. So not really too much we can dive into in this win, which is what tends to happen when you win games. There's not a whole lot that you can criticize. We can criticize quite a bit the game yesterday, though, Jill, the matinee in Dallas against the Mavericks, who had not beaten the team with a winning record coming in. Do we want to chalk this up as a, well, of course, a very, very poor shooting game, but also just continued King struggles in early games, a 12 o'clock game for them. I was going to say, they only suck at that. They Uh, suck at day games. Yeah. Well, and they come and they come out slow, right? Right. It's, it's that lackadaisical and whether that's because it's early game, I don't know. They were coming off two wins. I, I mean, I don't know, but again, it's, Going into this road trip, what did I say? I wanted 500. I know I'm going to get 500 right now. So um, I, I'm happy with the way it's going. But I was more frustrated, yes, in their slow start, but that they were going away from what was working for them. Like they were coming back in the game by going inside. And I know that they got down, so maybe they felt they had to check up threes. But I just felt like at times where there was still plenty of time left in the game, stop going away from what's working. You know what I mean? Where yeah. it was just keep keep doing what's working. Um, I understand at the end of a game, maybe more so if you're, you know, really chucking it up. But uh, that and they spent so much time trying to come back that every time they did make a run to get back in it, uh, Dallas would then make their run to re-extend it. And that's kind of what the Kings did against the Pelicans the day before. Um, as we say, basketball is a game of runs, and unfortunately the Kings were on the opposite side of it uh, for this game. But, yeah, I mean, really that slow start seemed to be um, what hurt them the most because they were always catching up from that point on. Yeah, and, again – Terrence Davis didn't bring you anything. So your rotation is again, getting smaller and we're still early in the season and guys are still getting conditioned, still doing all that. They're, they're playing a lot of minutes, right? We saw this last year where they started off really well, but they were playing a crazy amount of minutes and then fell off, you know, towards the, towards the back end. I don't want that to happen this year. 
being that we're saying we have depth, but it sucks if we're not necessarily using it. I would be now a little leery of, you know, over overusing guys to an extent um, when, when games are, you know, every other day type scenario with those. Um, it wasn't a back-to-back, but you're, again, you're traveling, so it's not like you're at home um, and, and getting rested there. But again, I to harp what we've been harping on, the bench needs to be better, right? Way it's, better. At least scoring-wise, again, it, it needs to be better because we saw this again where the star player goes out and the Kings are taking advantage of it. We even had Fox on there towards the end of the second quarter um, when Luca had to go out again, I believe, with foul trouble. Uh, and, and the Kings went down like 10 again, and it's that should not happen, right? When their stars go out, we should not be going down Losing 10. momentum, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that, that's when it should be the opposite. So um, just, yeah, nitpicking those little things, if they can clean that up, you know, consistently, uh, you know, I, I think they'll be fine. Um, and then what we've talked about, the slow second halves, where, again, the Kings rank 13th in defense, um, defensive rating for the first half of, of a game. And what did Luke Walton say? Their goal was to be 15 this season. So in the first half, they're meeting that. But in the second half, I want to say it was 20. I don't have it in front of me. But it was like 25, 27, something like that. Um, Autumn but it, it, it significantly dropped, right? Um, and so that's why I think they're sitting at like 23 or something right now, if, if they're still there. These were pulling from yesterday's number prior to yesterday's game because um, NBA hadn't updated their site yet. Um, what it says now, I don't know if they've dropped at all a little bit, but that seems to be the theme still, right, that they're in the top half, you know, in the first half of a game and then completely in the back half uh, of a second half of a game. So they could find that middle ground. Yeah. Um, I think that will make a huge difference. Yeah, they're trying to put two and two together, it seems. It, it, it's almost as though they, they exhaust themselves with their intense, very solid defensive effort in the first half, and then they just run out of gas in the second half, which is a, a narrative I don't want to say, and I hope is not true, because you don't want that, of course. But it's what we're seeing. It, it's the efforts there in the first half, and then as the game goes along, they wear themselves down a little bit on their own accord, right. and then the defense stops. Uh, it's incredible that they right. even were in this game towards the end. You, you mentioned the, the run that Dallas went on right at the end of the third when Luka was off the court. You would have thought that would have been the time that the Kings pull within even closer because they quickly took a lead. For And I say quickly because not because it happened quickly. It was not until the third that they had their lead. Um, but it was it was very short-lived. And then Luka comes off and they go on this quick run where the Kings were missing pretty point-blank shots. Fox, for sure, had a couple shots that he just bricked. Then Mavericks quickly countered back got points in the paint or got like a three in the corner from Reggie Bullock. And all of a sudden they're up 10 again, going into the fourth, the Kings with the way they started just so poor, so flat, so horrendous. They had no business even coming back in this game, considering they were seven of 36 from three. That's 19% Jill. That's gross. That is you throw that in the garbage and you hope you never see that number again, 19% from distance in an NBA game. Buddy Hield, of course had three of those, Seven threes, almost half of the threes came from Buddy. 
they did a good job getting in the line again in this game. That's a theme that's getting uh, a little bit more consistent, and that's good to see. 16 of 20 from the line, 80%, only 40% from the field. They out-rebounded Dallas significantly, as you also had mentioned. They were scoring in the paint. That's how they got back. It's weird that they didn't stick with that because that's where they were dominating Dallas. That's where they have the had the advantage on Dallas was with their size, was with Tristan Thompson and Rashawn Holmes. And then Harrison Barnes creating problems against someone like Dwight Powell, who's not athletic enough to keep up with him. They do really miss Jill having a stretch type of four or big to come off the bench because Mo Harkless is not, yeah. is not scoring for them at all. That's not what he's out there to do, though. And you're not playing Bagley. You're obviously not playing Shemezi Metu. Bielitsa is gone. That seems like something they, they need to try to figure out. They don't have someone that can play both ways, right. That they don't have someone who can at least give you average on both sides of the ball. Um, yeah. It's either you're getting, you know, really good on one side and not so much on the other, um, for, you know, depending on who that the player is. But that's why um, I say keep looking, you know, if I, I think that's where the, the trade market might be is end up being that whether you can get a, a Christian Wood, um, uh, a grant from Detroit, if you could get be, both uh, of those would be huge. Know, like a PJ, PJ Washington from Charlotte or uh, McDaniels, who's out of the rotation because they have those stretch guys, uh, you know, and they just sign Ubre and all those that there are some guys that are, you know, have found themselves getting less minutes and things like that, where if they could somehow from, you know, one of those teams get someone that's going to give you, uh, yeah, both sides of the ball, I think I think that would be huge. And the other thing, too, is our, I think our rebounding has improved, but I would say more so the defensive rebounding rather than, uh, sorry, the the um we're giving up too many second chance uh points where i was looking at that we're like 13th in the league on um against teams like true shooting percentages like we're holding teams right but we're 28th in the league on second chance on giving the the team a second chance opportunity that i think that's part of the struggles too in in the second half is we're giving these teams multiple opportunities after you make a stop as well. So, right. you know, even, even in the first half, um, but there are times we can continuously see it where we're like, dang, that was a really good, you know, 24 seconds they did there, but damn, they let them get the rebound. And then, you know, they ended up getting an easy bucket off the rebound because of guys going for it or, you know, however it plays out. But, um, yeah, I would think it's going to be hard to be uh, consistent anywhere if you're 28th in the league on giving up the second chance opportunities like that. So that's something I think they need to uh, they need to work on cleaning up. But what, you know what I mean? Like it's early, and that's and early. there were I was even you know I I liked the minutes that Tristan Thompson gave yesterday, but there were still times too where I was like, dang, I wished they had the height of Len um, in there at cer- certain opportunities too. So it, it's, I, I can see why Walton did it just because there was no, there was no grid out there, right? Like the, the attitude of physicality was down and Tristan came in and, and, and seemed to, to, to bring that. Um, it's just, he's kind of hurting you on the defensive end as well. So 
you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see how uh, Walton handles this stuff going forward. But it did seem like, too, where we were wondering if they were going to pull out um, Terrence Davis, you know, who, who would we see put in? And in the second half, I'm pretty sure it was Thompson that ended up going in for him. So <laughs> that's something to keep an eye on uh, as well. Thompson did have a good game. Defensively, you can say what you will, but in 21 minutes, he had 13 points, five rebounds, three assists, and he was a definite coach on the floor, which is what we expect from Thompson, kind of like what we saw with him on Shumpert several years ago or a couple years ago was, you know, he's going to talk. He's going to make sure these guys are knowing what's happening, especially on the defensive end. Uh, after the game, Thompson had this little soundbite in a good interview that I just I wanted to quote one of the things he said, because this is why people like him, regardless of how he plays. I'm going to be a fan of him for something like for saying things like this. He said, quote, if I'm not playing, I'm going to be the biggest cheerleader that Sacramento's ever seen. I'm always going to be there for my team. And when my number's called as a pro, you've got to be ready to step in and make an impact. So Thompson is definitely I love a that. vet, right? He's a vet. He says the vet things. He does the right things and says the right things. And if he's not producing necessarily on the floor, although yesterday, again, he did, he put up good numbers. You know, he'll be vocal. He'll be telling people when they've done something wrong or when they've even done something right. You know, he's, he's like, he's grooming himself to be a coach. As he said, he's not going to give you attitude if he's not playing. Right. Like he said, I, if I'm sitting on the bench, I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader because I want the team to win. So, you know what I mean? I, I love that about players, right. You buying into your role. That's, and that's huge. And something that this team hasn't had a lot of, right, over the years. No, so, not much. Um, yeah. No, it, and that's what makes him valuable. That was, I think, the biggest. I almost feel like Monty McNair, when he acquired him, and then Luke Walton, when he first probably sat down with him, that was what they told them. They're like, your biggest reason to be here is not necessarily to play or start and play 30 minutes or whatever. Your job is to keep this team together, be that glue guy that we've talked about, help us build some character, some toughness on this team that we had absolutely none of in last season, obviously going back even more years than that. And so far he's accomplished that. I think uh, the results need to keep getting better, but Thompson's definitely made his presence known. We, we can't deny that real quick, Jill. I yeah. do want to ask you, as you're talking about people stretch fours that could be available and you listed a, a good group of players, Christian Wood for sure would be outstanding if they could pull that off. And I know you're a big fan of Christian Woods. Most people are at this point. He, he was a great find. But PJ Washington is a is a is an interesting one because he's definitely not in the rotation now in uh, in Charlotte. Miles Bridges is playing the four. They have obviously Kelly Oubre, who's been Warrior fans are going to hate to hear this, but he's been incredible for them off the bench. I think he had like twenty six points in his last game. So he's doing what they were, you know, having PJ Washington do last season. What do you think of like a PJ Washington to Sacramento for Marvin Bagley and like a second round pick? Do you think that would I think that helps both teams. I that that's definitely a move that that I would not say no to. <laughs> yeah, I would um, say yes. Yeah, and, and it gives it gives Charlotte, you know, a chance to uh, you know to to look at a young guy. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's the kind of move that I think the Kings should be looking at, and and in the same sense that. You could say Bagley and PJ are in the same situation, not because of they've had similar injuries or anything like that, but they both just find themselves kind of on that outside looking in and are only being put in at this point because of injury. And for PJ Washington, it's nothing that from what he's done in previous seasons, he has no. showed up the last two years and, and has played well. It's just 
Charlotte went out and acquired more talent. Like that's, um, you know, and this is still an extremely young kid who, uh, you know, and Charlotte's trying to turn it around. So they're using more vets, right. Than than some of the, the younger players. And, you know, that usually happens on teams trying to turn the corner or that <clears throat> find themselves, you know, right on that brink that they start playing more, um, more of the, the vet presence that have, that have, you know, succeeded in the league. And so, uh, yeah, that's, those are, those are the kind of moves that I would be looking at that or the situation like Wood or, you know, Wood in Houston or Grant in Detroit, where those are two vet guys who aren't necessarily part of the plan. Like I know they were both, you know, kind of, they were both hires by the new guys when they came in, but both teams have gone extremely young at this point. And it's, it's hard to know if they want to pay those salaries or, you know what I mean? Like what they're looking to do. So um, realistically, I don't know if those are possibilities, but those are just two names of, of vets that could provide teams that are looking to be playoff bound, right. Compared to these teams that are completely rebuilding. Yeah. And would, um, I think would probably be the most realistic just because of the excess amount of big men that Houston now have after this yeah, past and draft. And I know Golden State's like interested, so that would be a dagger. But yeah, right. Um, Can yeah, we have something? Just piss off, Warriors. Right. <laughs> always, always uh, so, taking. Yeah, but I, uh, I think those names will be will be you know big come as yeah, I, as as time goes. But yeah, and you. For Kings fans, I definitely would keep an eye on P.J. Washington. Not that that necessarily anything's in the works, but just looking at his last game, he did play more uh, for the Hornets yesterday because they have a back-to-back, I think, is why they were playing him yesterday. They have to play again yeah. in like an hour. They beat Portland. They're 5-2 and two on the season. P.J. Washington in 21 minutes, Jill, was 8-for-8 eight eight from the field, had a 3, 17 points, 3 assists, 2 rebounds. That's very, very good. It's very Talk about efficient. You can't be more efficient than 8-of-8 eight eight for 17 points in 20 minutes. So you might honestly have to send more to Charlotte than Bagley in a pick if you're hoping to get Washington. But they are yeah. a team that doesn't rebound very and, well. Um, Lonzo, right. or excuse me, Lamelo led them in rebounds in that game yesterday with nine. They don't have a whole lot of size. So someone like Bagley who will grab you a ton of rebounds, that's a selling point, if you ask me. If I'm Monty McGarry, like, well, you need a guy to go grab boards. Marvin's 22, and he does that very well. But, yeah, yeah count me on the P.J. Washington. The other trade. name in Charlotte I would I would look McDaniels. at is McDaniels, too. Yeah. Who didn't play yesterday, um, he, yeah. He, he, no. And he's one that he more so – he finds himself even outside of um, of P.J. because yeah. of um, because Oubre now as well. And, and Hayward's back. So, um, he's another, like, extremely young guy where uh, – to me, they're they're worth kind of those dart throws. Yeah, uh, just a good team in Charlotte altogether. I, I definitely find them as a as a fun team to watch. Uh, so the Kings now play Utah in the final game of this four game stand tomorrow. Like you had already touched on, Jill, they will be nonetheless, regardless of what happens tomorrow in Utah, they will go back to Sacramento at two and two on this trip, winning the first two games. Obviously, it would be incredible if they could steal a win on the road against a uh, a Jazz team that's no longer undefeated. They were upset by the Bulls, which at this point, I guess it couldn't even be an upset because the Bulls are are slowly becoming a, a like a powerhouse, I guess, in the East. But that was a, that was a great game and a kind of a, a huge moment in this new era of Chicago Bulls basketball knocking off the Jazz a couple of days ago. So they play in Utah tomorrow. 
And then it's their first back to back, first back to back, excuse me, of this season, this early young season. They play at Utah and then they go back home to Sacramento and play the Pelicans again. So going to be a, a, a kind of chaotic 48 hours for Sacramento traveling and then playing a team that they just played. Uh, do we have any keys or anything before we shift to a different topic for tomorrow's game against Utah? How can they beat the Jazz, Jill? Can they beat the Jazz? Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a tall order. Uh, I they they need to figure out their three point shooting. Yeah. It, to me, it's gonna be hard to beat a Jazz team who's really good at the three ball if you're not hitting your three. It's the same way like if you're going against the Warriors, it's gonna be rare that you will beat either of those teams because of their three point shooting if you can at least match it somewhat. <laughs> so true. Uh, so. Yeah, you're, you're going to need a, a consistent, you know, you're not given at least a 48, at least a good 40-minute uh, production and and then to find your three ball. Um, because it's – the Jazz rarely uh, have off nights. So um, – Very rare. Yeah. And they I just – I think that what, they only lost like 20 last year. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. when you can, when you can steal one from them, it's, it's, it's huge, but – uh, yeah, you can't make too many mistakes around them. And the Jazz, in their last game yesterday, they won 107-95. They're now 5-1. and one. They beat the Bucks, the defending champion Bucks, who are off to a pretty poor start. Three and four on the year are the Milwaukee well, Bucks. And they have, like, half their team out, yeah. too. Middleton, um, um, specifically. Uh, the Middleton Dallas. was out. Drew, Drew and Lopez have been out for the last week. Um, Tough. Portis just came back. He hadn't been there the whole first week. So, yeah, I mean, it's they're they're having to play Giannis's like start Giannis's brother, who is like one of their end of bench guys, right? Yeah. Like that's, I mean, that kind of tells you like, you know, and then Semi, who they got from the Celtics this year, like he's out still. So yeah, they they've just been hitting a a nasty injury bug early, but the, like at least what they said with Lopez is. He could play, but they're sitting him out because they don't want it to be a prolonged back issue for the rest of the season. They just kind of want to let it run its course <laughs> and then him come back and not, you know, rush, rush someone back at the beginning of the season when they know they're playing for the long run. So right. long season. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, I will say this just to be captain obvious here. The Kings will 1000% get blown out, blown out tomorrow. If they start like they did yesterday in Dallas and can't make their threes, they need to, it's, it's imperative that they come out at the very minimum and just start out with some rhythm, with some pace, knocking down some early threes, ideally from Fox or Halliburton, who missed one of the most wide open threes in the most horrendous fashion towards the end of the game against Dallas yesterday. Uh, he's still, we keep saying it, just being way too passive. There's several moments in the game yesterday against the Mavs where he had a high set, a high screen set form, had plenty of space and time to pick up his dribble and shoot from three. And he just kept dribbling and moving around and then passing to someone else. I'm not sure if he's in his own head too much. We could go down a rabbit hole of that conversation about Tyrese right now, but we need, we need Halliburton and we need Fox to really step up their game and really do so tomorrow. If they want to knock off the jazz before heading back to Sacramento, six o'clock start for that game, Jill. Um, I'm afraid to watch, but you know, I will. All right. Shifting gears. We want to touch on this before we wrap up this Monday show. The city uniforms, much anticipated. They've been released. I, I talked about it as we first came on. Uh, only 28 teams 
why only 20 teams. That's all but two teams. Like I said, the Jazz and the uh, Suns, whose Suns have the Valley uniform and the Jazz have uh, a different colored type of, I think it says Utah on it. Both are really sick jerseys, so I'm not surprised that they're like, we don't need any new city uniforms. We'll keep these. They're very popular. The Suns have worn them on pretty much every home game. They're, they're Valley unis. So 28 other teams got new jerseys. The Kings, though, are obviously the jersey we want to talk about. I very much like it. I think it is a, a beautiful mix and blend of their 2002 black jerseys that we love so much. We always talk about because they're the most iconic jerseys in this franchise's history. Uh, they have the same trim as that jersey. They have the same number uh, format. They have the same shorts in the terms of uh, the color, the, the purple on the side. And then they mix that 02 jersey with the 1985 original Sacramento Kings jerseys when they moved to Sac. Um, with the font in what it says on the front. It doesn't say Kings. It says Sacktown in this uh, version, but... I it, think that's the only thing I don't like is I would have preferred it to say the Kings in that oh, really? script rather than Sacktown. But I get it because Sacktown's kind of been there. what Nike uses as our, you know... Slogan. Slogan. Word, or, yeah. You know, whatever. Like, so I, I get it. In, I totally get it in that sense, but I think it would have been cool to see it in the, the Kings in that old script like that. <laughs> Yeah, but, no, I, I agree. Yeah, um, I, I, but you know, like it's yeah. There, I did you see the court? Yeah, what did you think of the court? Look, I, I that lo the logo is weird to me. I don't know. Do you know what they're they're copying there? They're going even farther with that. Is it like mimic. back with the Royals? Like, yeah, it's going way back to where the Royals used to have. It was when they were not in the NBA; they were in the. BAA basketball association. I don't, I don't remember what it was called okay. that they were a part of, um, but there was photos that I saw circulating um, that that was like what the logo looked like. It was like the BAA was underneath in the same format as the NBA. Sure. And then it said the team name on top in a little crest. Okay. That makes more sense then. So I didn't yeah, know it was that far back. Okay. Yes. They went even farther on that, like homage to early, early Sacramento or excuse me, not sure. even Sacramento, just their franchises days. I'm trying to see if I can find this tweet. I don't think I will, but um, yeah, there's, there's history involved in that. I, I don't hate it as much as some people do. I understand that well, it's a that, little surprising. See, I can understand like it looks like that because it's that far back. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's, I'd have more of an issue if that's something they just now designed. True. Right? True. Um, they just came up with it. But I, I can understand if that's something that was made way before, you know, how things are made now. So yes. yeah. It's like a royal it. banner crest. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely has some roots to it. That's for sure. And I love the shorts. Um, they're definitely taking from the 2002 era um, with the purple on the side and around the right the waist. The Sacktown script. Yep, love that. Definitely is just the same script, uh, same font as the Royals um, or the original Kings uniforms. Just again, now it's saying Sacktown. I like all of it. I really do. If I'm going to give it a rating out of ten, which I'm going to ask you, Jill, what you would give it out of ten, I'm giving it a nine. I, I, I only think the only thing that preventing it from being perfect is uh, is really like the logo in the center on the around the, the waist. The logo is what the court is, which, again, I don't hate it. I just think it looks kind of goofy on the waist. I think you could just use the their actual logo. Um, but I, I like everything about it. I like the color scheme. I like the connections, several different connections to past Kings teams or Royals teams. So I, I think. It was job well done and, and something different for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, I want to see it on, on the, um, 
but I think it's it's one of the the better ones that they've had um, compared to to some of the others that Nike has thrown out at them. True. Um, the Reds. Yeah, and and to me, I always feel like we're the kings, and so they don't spend much time on us. But it's like they really are going to pay attention to the ones that are going to be seen nationally. And since you know, it's not like we're on TV for people to see these things. That um, it's more so just for us. And, uh, and I always appreciate like how they work it back, right? How they work it back with the history and, and all of that stuff. Um, but then I'll go seven, eight, just because I want to see it on them first and my number could go up, but I, I really like the shorts. Um, but I want to see how the front looks, looks on a player. Cause sometimes when you're looking at them, uh, to me, the numbers look so small. Yeah. But then once it gets on them, it's like, okay, it's not as small as it looks on a picture. So, um, and we, a couple of years ago, they had ones, remember where they were like those little mini numbers that was so weird. I don't yes. know. So I just want to see this on the guys. See it in action. But I, I, I like the black. I like that they stuck with that, like from last year when they did the checkerboard and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I, you know what? I, I always, I don't mind it because, and there are some ones that are not, not great looking. So, um, when it comes to others, so, you know, there's, there's um, no, I'll take it. Yes. Uh, there's no doubt that <laughs> the best of the Kings is in black, like uh, that black would be the top of anyone's choice. If you're going to choose a color for their Jersey. So I'm glad that they chose that. They, they, they I guess, heard people and what the fans wanted and, and chose the black scheme. Um, and then there have been, you spoke of the numbers. There's been already some controversy about where the number is going to be placed on the Jersey. Cause there's been different photos posted by the Kings page too, that have shown the number in a different spot. Just to clarify on that, the number is off center. It's to the left um, of the person that's going to be wearing nice. it. Okay. Not directly underneath. Like some people have seen circulating around. I think that's just for, if you're trying to buy like obviously a replica Jersey um, that it, I guess it would be in the center for whatever reason, but no, for the players and for the jerseys, they'll actually be worn. It'll be off center, which is more normal. And I definitely think looks a little bit better. Um, and yeah. It, because remember those one where it was underneath it and it made like the sack town really tiny, like yes. it just looked weird. So I, yes, I like it when it's off centered and then the logo or the, you know, the naming can be a little bit more centered itself. Yeah, no, it just, it's more, it's more symmetrical, aesthetically pleasing, if you will. So big fan, uh, Jill's giving it a seven or an eight right now. I got to see it in action. I'll go straight to a nine. Maybe even a 10. I don't, I mean, they're jerseys at the end of the day. Uh, they got to win some games in them. Love That's it what, as much as you want. Love yeah, it. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> we'll all rate them as 10s if they win a ton of games in those jerseys this year, which they play a good amount of games in these city edition uniforms. I think they said it's the most, right? It's it might be the most or the second most. So I think it's the you second know what? most. Let's fingers crossed everybody that they're, they're good luck jerseys. We'll, t- you know, we'll take it. Anyway, I think we know now why they've been wearing a lot of their black uniforms, the ones that they already have. To start the season, they've been trying to get people in that mindset, like, hey, we're going to be wearing black. I mean, it's almost like they've been telling us this whole time, teasing us with with those black unis, getting us ready, getting us prepared, um, which, again, we're all fans here in, in SAC uh, Kingsland of black unis, black uniforms. We always have been. So no problems there. Just to touch on a couple other jerseys that were awesome, I think. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the the photo of all of them, Jill, by this point. The Hawks, I think, are the best. They're, theirs are their their real retro, very yellow, but just sweet. I can't wait to watch Trey Young ball out on them. 
there's a great. Is it the ones with the wing spread? Yeah, it's the one with the like the full hawk yeah. spread out. Yeah. Um, there was that, another one that was old school too. Yeah, there's. I'm trying know. to think of it in my head. I'm uh, trying to pull it up. There, there's a good amount of them that were pretty solid, in my opinion. The Rockets oh, ones. Oh, yes, the, the pinstripe. The, the pinstripes pinstripe. from the yep. Elijah Wan era. Those are sweet. The Pacers ones are awesome. Um, Charlotte Hornets ones are cool. They have the little honeycomb on them. The Nets went back to the look from the early 2000s, kind of like what the Kings have done, where it's appealing to like their great era of basketball when Jason Kidd and Richard Jefferson and Vince Carter Miami on the team. Went, yeah, Miami went back to the serial... You know, yes. Yeah. Literally serial letter. killer writing. Um, the ugliest, just because this needs to be said, I I don't know what it is. The Cleveland Cavaliers uh, take the cake, win this award, I think by a landslide, if we're being honest. Theirs are just ugly. Just flat out ugly. Don't even look at them. Is if that you can an avoid old it. logo? I was trying to think. It, to me, it I, looked it, like they were pulled a logo, like a really, really, really old logo. Up. Yeah. It must be like their original logo because I don't know what it says and I just don't like the way it looks. And the color uh, looks like ketchup and mustard yep, together. Absolutely. Kind of McDonald's-y. Yeah. Yes, spot on, actually. Uh, the Spurs ones are cool, too. They're going back to their 90s ones. Chicago to the uniforms that MJ originally wore in the early 80s that they quickly changed once he arrived. But it's a good look. It's very simple. Um, but, yeah, good group altogether. I, I really only think the Cavs uh, – I'm not a huge fan of the Mavericks, although those are you know rooted back a ways for them with – this uniform and how it looks good group altogether. Good collection. I think it's better than last year's for sure. And I'm excited to start seeing uh, teams wear them, which I think will start in like a week or so teams will start rolling them out and wearing them. The Kings first game. I want to say is the 19th. I don't know why that's the date that I saw. Maybe I'm wrong. It seems like a long ways away, but nonetheless, we will see them in the month of November, these new city uniforms at home games. And we will see the Kings back at home on Wednesday against the Pelicans. We will have our next episode on that day to talk about the Jazz game and prepare for the Pelicans game. We got to get Jill off so she can continue her safe travels home. Jill, any other thoughts, last thoughts on this Monday episode for us? No, just thanks. Uh, thanks for coming along my car ride. <laughs> it's been it's been beautiful. Um, yeah, no, hopefully it wasn't too scattered, but... Uh, Not at all, actually, was I was going to say. I was trying to pull as much off the top of my head... Uh, as I could, but, um, yeah, no, just, just, thank you. Um, but yeah, no, just fingers crossed that just this team needs to just keep working, keep growing, keep improving where they can. We don't, we don't want that one step forward, two step back. We want to keep taking those step forward. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. (laughs) All right. And I love it. And I will tell you guys, if they win, if they beat the Jazz tomorrow, this will be one hell of a happy podcast come Wednesday. We will be ecstatic. Uh, and Jill will hopefully be back at her desk in her house with her dogs ready to join yeah, us. The, but- the only one thing I want is when I was on my drive, I was, this will be my Jill's water. This is my record. Say it again. Anyone we lost you there. Listening to this listens to other. Oh, can you hear me now? I can. Yeah. That was the one time this whole time, this whole episode, I, I, I didn't hear you. Yeah. I hear you now. <laughs> Something about Joe's water cooler. Okay. So I was, I was listening to a podcast during my drive and it's a basketball podcast. So if anyone else, you know, en- enjoys listening to other podcasts, listen to uh, the whistleblower and it's all about uh, the NBA and um, the referee scandals. And there's so much more to the story than, 
like my mind was blown. Like they talked to the FBI agents, like they talked to the the mob bosses that were involved. Like it's it's crazy. Listen to it. You will feel super vindicated about 2002. Carmichael Dave was on it too. Um, it'll piss you the hell off, but um, it'll also, you know, uh, I told you so. So, but yeah, it's crazy just hearing how far like that stuff really goes. And then even the names that are currently still in the league, which is just nuts. So yeah. definitely recommend it. It's called the, uh, the whistleblower. I imagine that's what you'll be listening to the rest of your drive. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. I figured, uh, Jill just bleeds basketball. This podcast, hoopball podcast would be absolutely nothing without Jill Edge. I think she's proven that even more so today. So thank you, Jill. And thank you everybody else for listening on this Monday episode of the hoopball Sacramento Kings podcast. We'll be back on Wednesday. Slater dudes. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.